Welcome to Building Sustainably, The Road to Net Zero, a podcast by RPS. Achieving net zero requires a transformational shift in the way we plan, design, and build. But as the 2050 target edges closer, significant challenges lie ahead. In this podcast series, we aim to tackle the key issues head on. We'll explore real life case studies and provide actionable advice on how to define, design, and manage net zero projects and programs. In this series, we focus on decarbonization challenge facing owners and operators of large property estates, a challenge compounded by aging infrastructure, limited funding, and competing pressures. Here to make the complex easy, I'm your host, Chris Lavery. Thanks for joining us, Roddy. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Could you start by giving us a bit of an overview of your experience and what your position involves at the University of Strathclyde? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Good to join you this morning. Yeah, I've spent the last seven years at the University of Strathclyde working on sustainability aspects. Nearly the last two years I've been as an executive lead for sustainability at the university. I lead the Sustainable Strathclyde team and the team and I am responsible for the development and the delivery of climate change, social responsibility initiatives across the whole university community. So very much we're addressing the university's response to, I suppose, the climate emergency, but fundamentally the net zero challenge that we've got, because we have a key performance indicator around that within the university's strategic plan. And of course, all of the sustainability and social justice issues that arise are out of this climate emergency the cost of living crisis now, the energy crisis, etc. And that work is done across all of our operating assets in the West Central Scotland. We're a teaching and research university and we operate several assets across the West of Scotland. So yeah, my previous roles to that were as a sustainability manager at the University of St Andrews for nearly 10 years. And that was less senior role, but entailed similar work, but very much developing and delivering the university's specific net zero energy strategies and develop carbon neutral plan for the university and really trying to get that university up to a level where it's uh, seen as a leader in the sector at the time. So yeah, and previous to that, I worked in industry in lots of different sections, some industries that were quite polluting at the time. My first job was with British Coal when we had a coal industry. I worked in the aviation sector and I've worked in consultancy. So yeah, and I'm now working away with the University of Strathclyde trying to deliver the change we need. Fantastic. Well, you've certainly got plenty of experience there, very diverse as well, Roddy. And it also sounds like you've got your hands full. It's a very interesting role that you've got at the moment. And I'd imagine it involves quite a lot of collaboration with teams both inside and outside of the university. Definitely, yeah. The word collaboration is is now at the core of what I do and what we do as a university in this sort of operational sustainability agenda. It's a key theme. I very quickly realised when I joined Strathclyde that and that was in 2015, that we can't deliver the change we need on our own. We have to work in partnerships. We have to build relationships. We have to have a plan. We have to put together some sort of vision that enables us to coalesce around and work with like-minded organisations who are facing the same problems. Now, that was then. It's even more important now after the climate emergency and, of course, where we are societally with climate change. And in Scotland, we have a very strong focus on social justice. So our vision is really to create what we call climate neutral districts across our operating assets and work with others to achieve all of the outcomes that we're seeking to do. 
and that involves at-scale collaboration across the city and region in Glasgow. So Glasgow was the host of COP26, as you'll be familiar. And in the run-up to COP, we developed the vision and created that kind of collaborative piece of work that informed the vision around several projects, one of which was the Climate Neutral Innovation District in the centre of Glasgow. And we lead this work because we have to decarbonise, we have to become more resilient to climate change in terms of our built environment. And we've got the expertise to deliver this work. So I've developed the plan around that knowledge base, I guess, with my own knowledge base and that of the team, but also our academic colleagues and those that we work with, be that in our supply chain, our consultants and so forth. So yeah, I think it's collaboration is the only way we're going to get to where we need to get to. We all need to work together and build those relationships, come together around things like new investment models that we need to bring forward at a regional scale. So we need the scale, I think. Investors want to see scale. And we also think about social justice and a just transition in the work that we're doing as well. So yeah, there's a lot going on, it's fair to say. We work with lots of different organisations that you would think we would work with, city council, local authorities around the region. We work with enterprise agencies, Scottish Enterprise, um, Scottish Futures Trust, Scottish Water, Scottish Power Energy Networks, Local Energy Scotland. We just try and work collaboratively with the right people who are working at a policy level, but also at a delivery level, because ultimately we have to get infrastructure in place here and think about how we fund and uh, support that infrastructure. Yeah, so definitely collaboration and partnership are a key in terms of achieving this. I'd like to come back a, a little bit and talk about funding later on. But within your seven years at the university, how has sustainability and climate pressures intensified? Significantly, I think since summer 2019, when climate emergencies were declared across the UK and Scotland and closer to home, local authorities, and of course, some universities, the climate emergency. So there was already focus on the work that I was leading at the university. We had put in place a good policy and a plan that supported that policy back in 2016. We have support from our university court, which is kind of our executive board, if you like, in sort of private sector terms. We really had that focus, but it was really, the lens was tightened around this in the summer 2019. And that's when I was able to bring forward the plan to create these climate neutral districts, create that sort of vision um, that built the scale around it. So that was a key transition moment, I think. And I think that's sector-wide across all the UK, HE and FE institutions. But our students are also thinking about this more and more, of course. They want to see institutions, they expect institutions like universities to lead, by example. They expect us to understand what is required and to enable them to understand what's required and how they can they can help to deliver change and be upskilled and apply the knowledge that we deliver as part of a university. That's our function after all. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Younger people are far more informed and knowledgeable. They definitely have big expectations on what we should be doing. So how do you ensure you meet students' expectations? I think a lot about student experience and the placemaking side of the campuses that we operate, but particularly the city centre campus where the most of our students come to and learn and work uh, within. So that place-based approach is a big part of what we think about. So making sure that the streets are as best we can, because we are a city centre institution. We don't have a sort of a campus-gated feel. It's a very much an open cityscape that we have to work very closely with our city council 
colleagues on the infrastructure, like the streets, the footways, footpaths, active travel solutions, and making the place not only safe and accessible, but also much greener than it perhaps is in and around the university. Thinking about access to our buildings, uh, thinking about the comfort levels of our buildings, all with a climate dimension attached to it, but also thinking about how we demonstrate some of these technologies, some of the, the academic side of things in terms of curriculum and so forth. That's not necessarily my area, but I definitely, and the team works very strongly on thinking about how our operational work can be enlightened and enabled by our students who have lots of knowledge. So we try and work with students to deliver projects that they can get involved in. And we very much see that as a really important part of what we do to enable and facilitate our students to become more involved in real projects. While at the same time creating a great environment to learn in, which is also important. So how do you promote your sustainable initiatives with the students and take them on the journey? We work a lot with MSc students because MSc students have a bit more of a rounded they're obviously well qualified by that stage. They're able to offer real kind of insights and really good data handling, particularly. They understand how to manage data, how to report. So that's a really useful set of skills that they can take into the workplace, of course. But we think that's where we focus most of our attention. So we really try and think of operational issues that uh, and how they can pivot more towards an MSc sort of student who can come in and analyze data, work with stakeholders to build a response to the question that we're working on. And that's where it worked really successfully. So we're working with several students at the moment on living walls, on green roofs. We're working with a student who's analysing surface water runoff as part of our climate adaptation uh, response to our campus. We've previously worked with students on e-mobility for one of our assets out in the National Park and thinking about how communities can be better connected. And we also work with undergrads. We do lectures for undergrads. We try and put our projects in front of undergrads who can do group work. We've worked with business consulting students most recently who are working on how our students perceive sustainability and sustainability activism. So these are management scientists who are able to bring a different dimension to this. And that's all really helpful data that we can use that informs our sustainability and social impact policy and our plans and responses to that. So yeah, it's a really, really interesting time because students are coming forward saying, can we work on this? And our stakeholders externally say to us, can we work with your students? Because they're great and they can deliver work for them as well. So I think that's the way forward. I think it's really exciting and encouraging to see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And also really interesting to be working alongside the students on such significant projects. Yeah, and it is I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen on the student piece in terms of operational sustainability, where students do want to see how they can become more upskilled and take their learning and apply it proactively and with purpose so they can see strong outcomes from that. I think that must be rewarding for the students in terms of working with an organisation or even just internally with us. They can see how they can apply not just engineering or science or business, but they can also think about how they can work with behaviour change in terms of our humanities students, our psychology students. Behaviour change is such a big part of this whole piece in terms of upskilling and knowing what you don't know and how to change behaviours and create a new norm. So all of those elements are what our students across the whole of the HE sector, not just the University of Strathclyde, are coming out with and saying to us, hey, we want to apply these skills. So I think that's, again, I'd say, I think that's really exciting for the sector to see coming forward. So, yeah, and we don't just think of it in silos. We try and bring a whole systems approach. 
we try and, and work across disciplines, be that engineering, science, business, humanities, so that our students can see the wider perspective that's needed around sustainability. It's not necessarily siloed. You have to be able to see the bigger picture, I think, which is where you get the most benefit, I think, in terms of delivery of change. Yeah, sounds really, really positive, really good way forward. If we move on then from the students to the projects, it'd be really good to talk about some of the initiatives you've been working on, in particular the Glasgow City Innovation District. Could you just tell us a little bit about the impact and significance of this scheme? Yeah, the Glasgow City Innovation District is a geographic area in the very centre of Glasgow. And as the name suggests, it's an innovation district. So it's a partnership that the university is leading with the local authority, the Scottish Enterprise, with Skills Development Scotland and Entrepreneurial Scotland, really to bring innovation into this city centre space. So startups, tech companies, tech organisations clustering together and bringing forward their knowledge to and working collaboratively on these challenges. And my role and the team's role in this is to make that innovation district what we call climate neutral. So what that means in very simple terms is energy carbon neutral in operation, weaning ourselves off gas as a heat vector and also being climate resilient. So climate change is to a certain degree locked in in terms of very intense rainfall, overheating, even in Glasgow. So that whole approach is very much at the core of what we're trying to do, thinking about health and well-being, access to services, um, the 20-minute neighbourhood, these sorts of concepts, and bringing that together in this innovation district. So we did, um, just around the time of COP, we were able to deliver a feasibility study to the city that said this is what this actually looks like in real terms. So taking heat from the Clyde, capturing waste heat from industry next to the River Clyde, uh, because the River Clyde flows through the centre of Glasgow, in case anybody doesn't know that, and really thinking about how that heat dynamic can be scaled up and bringing into that the grid piece around electrification of heat, electrification of transport, and the adaptation piece around better drainage, installation of much more permeable surfaces and so forth. So all of that quite complex dynamic came together in a report that we were able to engage with through the City Council and the Council Leader through a partnership called Sustainable Glasgow. And that's sitting around about a half a billion pounds of investment in infrastructure to deliver these kind of climate services, if you like. We think of it as a public-private partnership, so working with private sector organisations as well as public sector organisations. The timescale needs to be there by 2030, so it's quite challenging in that respect. And of course, we've put in, in place a lot of development funding to make this work happen. So the universities, we procured the project, I was the project sponsor and remain the project sponsor. And we were able to use Salix Finance, who we work with on our energy investment fund, to bring forward that development funding that enabled us to get this work done, to really provide the evidence base to the city and to the region. That means that we can actually start to inform ourselves with real data and ultimately make that data available to organisations who might want to invest in this infrastructure at some point in the future. So, yeah, that's essentially the, the, the gist of it. Our stakeholders, just to cover that very quickly, are uh, include the NHS, they include the council, of course, through Sustainable Glasgow, they include some of the housing associations in terms of residential housing, looking for affordable heat, they include the distribution network operator, Scottish Power Energy Networks, Scottish Water, some of the waste heat providers in terms of industry that's quite close to the city centre. And really thinking about in terms of what the impact is, 
uh, we think we can achieve 93% decarbonisation, working through different heat vectors, clean heat, clean power, other infrastructure services like digital, better drainage, much more attenuation of rainwater within this 170 hectare area, and really pivoting to get this work into existing plans that the city has got. So instead of this being new or layered over uh, new challenges, we would try and, and make sure that we mesh in with existing city and region planning policies, guidance and developments that are coming forward. So city deal funded projects, for instance, like the avenues, which is an urban realm treatment that's coming across the city. We'll try and unmesh in district heating systems into that infrastructure. We'll try and mesh in better drainage, nature-based solutions into that infrastructure so that we add value to that rather than being an extra encumbrance to those projects that are already uh, being planned and thought of. So we think it's quite innovative. We think it's scalar. We think it's got attraction for investors in terms of heat supply, power supply, and other climate services that we're also thinking about. And ultimately, in terms of social outcomes, it will mean affordable heat and power in people's homes and businesses and organisations that operate in the city. Well, it's phenomenally ambitious, but equally exciting. And I'm sure it's really something to be really excited about being involved with. So good luck with all of that. Just moving down the scale slightly, did you want to talk to us about the delivery of the 20 million district heating project, the main university campus? Yeah, so this is, again, when I joined the university, that the university had secured some funding for a district energy network at the time. Now, not unusually, that was a gas-fired combined heat and power system with a three-kilometre district heating network to feed into 16, as it was at that time, large buildings at the university campus. Lots of universities have done this across the UK. So that was the district heating project that I was the project sponsor for and delivered in the city centre. Quite challenging to do that. Sounds easy, but if you're digging up the streets of Glasgow and trying to keep a live campus going with teaching and research going and stakeholders who need to have access to heat, power and cooling all at the same time, that is challenging. But why it's important, I think, is because although it was gas-fired and still is gas-fired, it was interesting because we were able to demonstrate you can do this in a dense urban environment like Glasgow City Centre, very busy streets. And the contracting team and the designers that we worked with were fantastic in enabling that kind of whole piece to come together and to be delivered successfully. So the legacy of that is that we've got a district heating network that is sized and scaled to be extended, but with a different heat vector attached to it. And that's where the heat from the Clyde and waste heat from industry starts to come into into practice. So as we transition away from gas, we can utilise that network as part of a wider city scale district heating scheme. And that's really what we're working on in terms of that kind of investment piece. So we designed and and developed that funding programme that sat around that. And we've taken that learning to apply it to other sites at the university. So, for instance, the National Manufacturing Institute for Scotland, which is near Glasgow Airport, is a brand new building that we constructed, a digital factory of the future. And we've used our learning around being able to think about how we take risk, but applying that into a low-carbon solution. So we worked collaboratively with Renfrewshire Council, who were the developer of this development site, and we were the anchor tenant along with another organisation, the Medical Manufacturing Innovation Centre. And those two developments came forward and we said to ourselves, well, those cannot use gas for the heat supply. 
we need to be thinking about using waste heat from industry or water source or other forms of energy. So we worked with the local authority, with the Scottish government and with Scottish Water and Scottish Water Horizons, who are the kind of the innovation side of Scottish Water, to develop a ambient heat loop that provides wastewater from the sewage works in a heat network into the buildings where we have heat pumps. And we were able to deploy solar PV on the roof of the digital factory to bring forward a fairly large, well, it's 800 kilowatts ultimately with battery storage attached to it, solar PV array on the roof of the factory. So this is kind of now being constructed. It's our first energy carbon neutral building, we're calling it. Um, still connected to the mains power and with our Rego certificates, we're able to make sure that that's low carbon, zero carbon power, but no gas connection. So learning about district heating, understanding what the potential is of these changes that we need to take some risk on. And the risk element was the fact that we signed up to a heat supply agreement that enabled that investment to flow. And I think that was a valuable learning piece for the university and for the stakeholders, Renfrewshire Council, who took their own risk here and really started to innovate in this space. And I think that's an exciting development that shows that we can do this. And there are other examples in the city, the Queen's Quay development that colleagues might be aware of at Clyde Bank with Western Berkshire Council installing heat pumps in the Clyde is an incredible award-winning development that shows we can do this if we work together and we have some vision and also that we take some risk. And that's, I think, it's exciting because that shows we can do this. We just need to work harder to make it happen. That's great, buddy. Thank you very much for that. It's amazing how many different facets come out when you talk about these initiatives. So I'd really like to talk about future direction. And I mentioned earlier on about funding. So investments and funding partnerships, how do you want to see those progress going forward? Well, as a university, I think we have to be leaders in this. I think that's the first thing. We've got expertise in my area and working with colleagues. We know we can deliver infrastructure. So we know how that whole process works. And we have academic excellence that we can also bring in behind that. So I think the function of a university in a climate emergency has to be to act as a leader, to start to bring people together around this challenge. And funding is part of that. So we need to take the lead, innovate and bring forward solutions. And I think universities can be in the cities and rural environments where universities operate. They can be seen as a neutral facilitator of change because there isn't the same commercial emphasis around around our place in the community, so to speak. We're not a private sector organisation looking for a return on investment necessarily. Of course, we have to be a, provide a surplus, but we are a bit more of a neutral leader in this space. And I think that's that's been helpful to the work that I've been doing at the University of Strathclyde. But we can't do it alone. We have to discuss with others how we bring the change that the policy is driving now, which is really helpful actually, and break down our projects, break down barriers, understand where the solutions lie. And of course, funding is part of that. So we spent significant amount with support from, as I say, Salix Finance on development funding. And the nice bit about Salix Finance is that there's a development pot that sits in front of these projects that helps you develop the projects and bring forward the pipeline of investment that then can be capitalised. And I wonder if that's a model that we need to think more about. So we bring forward that revenue part of this funding stream to develop the projects that then we seek to capitalise on those that we build out. So I hope there's a discussion happening at government level about how we bring forward these new economic models that we need because we need that 
front-end investment to bring forward the ideas and flesh out the projects and de-risk them for whomever develops those projects, be that public sector, private sector, or collaborations of public and private. So yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge that I'm working on just now because the solutions are there. It's just getting the funding and the projects in place to deploy the funding at speed where we can. Okay, Roddy. And you reference public-private partnerships quite a lot. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more about this? Yeah. I think about wind energy. When I, in Glasgow, there are a lot of wind farms around, particularly the southern parts of Glasgow and the wider district and region. And I think of our energy bill at the university, which has doubled over the past two years. It's now north of £11 million for the cost of energy, heat and power and cooling. It was five and a half million a few years ago. So we're all suffering from this kind of energy crisis. And it may be it a little, but I think it, the writing is on the wall here that we need to think more collaboratively about how we generate heat and power. And I think that requires a different model around what that looks like. So I'm proposing that we have a much more public-private arrangement here where the public sector is able to invest alongside the private sector to develop energy-related revenue streams that actually help the public sector, whether that's the NHS, local authorities, universities, other organisations, and indeed the private sector, to start to leverage more balance in the system, let's say. And I think the power system is an interesting one because it doesn't necessarily allow that to happen very easily, where you're able to start to generate energy locally and use it locally. And I think that's what needs to happen. And part of my work with Clyde Mission is to think about how the natural and built environment can be used more, more creatively, let's say, to actually direct wire power generation, for instance, into strategic assets. And I think that helps those assets be much more financially sustainable. It helps to bring forward investment in terms of renewables generation and the infrastructure that supports that, electrification of heat and power, all sit within that dynamic, if you like. So what that looks like economically and commercially, I don't have the detail of that yet, but I think that's, you know, it's it's just a new way of thinking that relationship. And it applies to heat as much as wind energy or solar. It applies to all of these things. How can we, as a nation and as communities, place-based organizations, communities of practice, communities in residential terms, generate more of our own energy and use it locally? to the benefit of society, I suppose. So a bit more balance. So rather than everything being private sector-led, how can the public sector start to pivot into this space and derive some direct benefit? Yeah, and very much back to your uh, your point about collaboration as well, but it's collaboration across public and private. I suppose one of the huge benefits to the public-private partnerships connection is capitalising on the risk management capabilities of the private sector. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the point I made earlier about the National Manufacturing Institute for Scotland, where the university and the local authority brought forward a proposal around a heat and power system that enabled those organisations to understand what the benefit would be to them. But there's a risk element in that. So signing up to a heat supply agreement as an anchor off-taker of, of heat from an ambient heat loop developed by the local authority with input from Scottish government and delivered through the private sector. We took some risk there in signing that ahead of almost off plan, if you like. And that element of risk has to be shared, I think, because you can load risk onto a private organisation, a contractor, but you'll pay for that risk. 
So can we think of a way to leverage the development funding, the leadership around bringing forward solutions, and then ultimately the, the infrastructure construction and commissioning of that and operation of it to in a different way? And I think that's taking a step towards that, I think it's got to be the way forward. We need to do more of it at scale and have that different arrangement, that different relationship with industry and have the imagination within the public sector to think how we can actually pivot more into that space and take a bit more risk. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'd say, Roddy, is it's been a really fascinating conversation, really interesting. It'd be good to come back in a couple of years' time and see how you're progressing with the PPP, particularly the Glasgow Innovation District. I mean, that's such an enormous undertaking, but really exciting. So it'd be good to find out again how you're progressing on all of that. I've really enjoyed the chat today, Roddy. Very insightful and imagine thought-provoking for a number of our listeners facing similar challenges. But I've just got one last question for you, and it's about the lessons you've learned. What's the one key piece of advice you'd share with our listeners? I've got several bits of advice, but I suppose the finding, the foundation of this is to have a strong vision that's backed up by data and that's evidence-led. And if you work with colleagues to understand that vision and see how it relates to your stakeholders, then I think you'll get support. I think you need to get the development funding in place because without that vision and informing that vision, you can't do anything without that funding risk and taking a bit of a punt, let's say, because that helps you bring forward the investment pipeline ultimately. And I think a new way of dealing with that funding might be to capitalise that revenue in future. And we do that. It's not new. This It's just I think we need to do it at scale and with multiple stakeholders. And that requires collaboration. It requires a strong network with purpose and the ability to oversee barriers, to lift your eyes and see the bigger picture and understand what the solutions are and how you can then deploy that into a marketplace and actually build the infrastructure we need. So yeah, that's probably more than one point in there, but it's a whole systems approach that's founded on data, strong collaboration, and ultimately getting infrastructure and pipes in the ground and so forth. So yeah, it's exciting times. I'm looking forward to keeping strongly involved. Fabulous. Well, thanks again, Roddy. Thanks for your time and your insight. And I wish you and your colleagues at the University of Strathclyde every success with the major initiatives that you've got on the go. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero podcast is brought to you by RPS. To find out more about RPS and how we can help your organisation achieve its net zero targets, visit rpsgroup.com. And then make sure to search for Building Sustainably, The Road to Net Zero in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at RPS, thanks for listening.